Good afternoon, friends. It is another grand and glorious day here in the best little city in America. We're going to spend another couple hours here on the Patrick Lally Show, engaged in energetic and entertaining conversation on news, politics, entertainment, the outdoors, leisure. Ah, we're going to have ourselves a good old time because the wind, the wind, my friends, has turned. The wind has turned from the north to the south, which means better days are on the horizon Warmer days, more pleasant days. Uber producer Dan Peters is here to keep you updated on the latest news and weather. Thanks for spending some time with us on your radio. Streamed live at KSO.com. Getting, you got to get that KSO mobile app. You can listen to the show anywhere, all the time, and uh, catch up on the latest news and weather. Remember, you can always follow along on Facebook Live or on our Twitter account, at P. Lally Show. Hey, you know, we had another big winner yesterday, speaking of Twitter. Jana Farley is the winner, the second winner of a Patrick Lally Show Radio Clash State of South Dakota insignia patch. And we love Twitter winners. We love Twitter winners. We've had now a couple of Twitter winners the last couple of days. Uh, I'm, I'm sort of running out of patches at this point. I never had that many. But I do have stickers. So if you want a Patrick Lally Show Radio Clash State of South Dakota insignia, and you want a sticker, just go into Twitter at P. Lally Show and say, I want a sticker. Or just, you know, retweet the, the patches and stickers. Say, I want a sticker. Maybe I'll throw that up there again so you have something to retweet. That'd be good. But uh, you can always follow along on the social medias, which is a good time. You know, it's a good it's a good way to Converse with us here in the studio and uh, maybe ask a question of our guests, what have you. Uh, so congrats to Jenna Farley. That will be another delivered patch. So the two big winners, Zach DeBoer, Jenna Farley, both getting a patch delivered to them by me. So there you go. And maybe you'll get a sticker too because I got a lot of stickers left. Um, I've been watching the Olympics, having a good time, really enjoying uh, the Winter Olympics and uh, the ability to uh, avoid figure skating. But, you know, I've, I've watched a little figure skating. Dan, have you caught any of the figure skating? I've seen some. Yeah. Not a whole lot, but yeah. some. Got to watch a little hockey the other night. Olympic hockey is great. Don't you love the Olympic hockey? Actually, I saw the, the Canadian and the American hockey match on the women's side. Yeah. Boy, they are, they, they, they know they are the tops. And, and the cream of the crop in, in the Olympic field. And, and they played a, a match that meaningly, that was basically meaningless, yeah. but they fought tooth and nail throughout the whole thing. Yeah, so I was watching that for a while, and the Canadians got up 2 nothing, and I never did see how it turned out. 2-1. Ah, so we lost. That's okay, though. It was a prelim round, right? Yep. They'll meet again. They shall meet again. And the Canadians, I think, have, like... They haven't lost in years, yeah. decades. Yeah, if we win, whenever we beat the Canadians, it's a big deal in women's hockey. So we're going to keep watching that. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, more uh, skeleton. Love the skeleton. Head first. It's beautiful. Maybe even storm the Elsinore Brewery if, they, if, <laughs> if the Americans ever did win. Up in the great oh, wide north, eh? Yeah, that sounds like good deal, eh? Uh, yeah, little Bob and Doug McKenzie reference there. You can always count on Dan for the the unexpected Bob and Doug McKenzie reference. So, uh, and with the with the Olympics going on, it's appropriate. Um, we've got a great show for you today. Our guests: we have not one but two candidates for the city council, both from the central district. They're not going to be here at the same time. We're not going to go into that kind of smackdown. But Kurt Soul will be here at four o'clock, and Tom Hurlbert will be follow up at four thirty. We'll do a half an hour with each of those guys and get to meet them and find out what they have in store for their their uh hopes and dreams for the city council the buffalo maiden will check in from the black hills bureau for weird friends uh thea miller ryan from the outdoor campus will stop by for her weekly visit and i'll have the p l statement just after the break today's topic we talk a little bit about polling and i talk a little bit about the initiative and referendum system that's all coming up next on the patrick lally show information 1000 kso 316 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Everybody wants to live, and they want to live, and everybody wants to 
And we are going to get a little closer to free during the PL statement today. Everybody needs a chance once in a while. Everybody wants to be closer to free. Yeah, so there's a couple things going on in the state of South Dakota these days that have caught my attention and uh, looking through various news items and my email and my conversations. A couple things have piqued my attention. One is that there's this alleged poll making the rounds purporting to have Christy Noem leading Marty Jackley 40 to 35 in the Republican primary for governor. Uh, be very afraid, people of polls, all right? Be aware, be aware that all polling that is done by partisan firms or for particular candidates, you got to be, you can't trust. Polling is a tricky business, uh, and we've all seen polls that turned out to be wildly wrong. Doesn't mean polls are bad, polls are good. That doesn't mean that partisan polls are bad. They aren't. Political professionals in campaigns use them constantly to find real information in real time that they can use for their candidates. But a few things to be aware of as a consumer small samples, anything about 500. Uh, below 100, 500 in South Dakota is going to have a big margin of error. This latest Jack Lee Noam deal, and I, I'm not, I don't want to even go into too much details, but there's some reporting out there on it, and it kind of bothers me a little bit. Um, they're essentially irrelevant because this poll has a margin of error of plus or minus 6%. That is a lot. It's got a, a sample size of like 300. You can't believe it. Also, I think this one is robocalling. Robocalling, you know, you got to look at the methods by which these things are done. There are a lot of people who find value in robocalling and robopolls. I don't. Um, I don't think they're as scientific as some of the other methods. Uh, I just find them lacking. Um, check the firm that did the polling. Always important to figure out who's behind it. Longstanding firms with good reputations are always best. Pollsters that work for independent or media organizations are exclusively are better. Um, Cell phones, yes, have changed the game, of course, uh, but good firms uh, are always adapting and finding new ways to ensure that their sample is geographically, demographically, politically sound. Um, as a consumer, it's going to be tough out there. I'm just going to warn you, going into this next political season, it's, it's going to be harder than ever to decipher what is real and what is not and what is credible and what is not. But as a consumer and as a voter, if you come to these things with a degree of skepticism, you'll be far better off. Um, I was a political journalist for 30 years, and I was always against publishing stories based on partisan or issue-driven polling. It's just a bad idea. But here's the problem in South Dakota. Um, there isn't a lot of independent polling done. And so people start to kind of try and read the tea leaves by looking at some of the uh, more uh, politically driven or agenda driven polls. You just, you know, there's just not that much to them. And in a primary like this, uh, it's really tough to figure out uh, what the true thought of the electorate is. And you can do it, but you have to spend a little money and you have to take a little time and you got to have enough of a sample size and a good sample, uh, a representative sample to make sure you're getting the right results. And just the questions, you know, there's such a thing as push polling, where the question itself elicits a response that is intended to reinforce what the caller, what the whatever the pollster is looking for. So uh, you can use, you know, polling can be used for good or for ill. And a lot of times what you're seeing out there in the in the greater world is being used for ill. Um, so, you know, just be careful, people. Be careful uh, and, and be, be weary and leery consumers and you'll be better off. Um, the war on the state's initiative and referendum system continues. War, bit of a strong word. Bit of a strong word there, I know. Um, and I saw this on uh, the Dakota Free Press blog today. Our friend Corey Heidelberger, friend of the show. Uh, and it was just, it's one bill here. But I think it's kind of interesting uh, what's going on with this one bill. This is HB 1275. And, you know, there's 24 different pieces of legislation dealing with voter initiative and referendum referral. Um, so this one 
is originally was a bill that said that you had to have a represented a certain percentage of your signatures from every Senate district and you had to have and so people when you're getting their signatures they had to know what Senate district they live in well nobody knows that I I can tell you, you know, who represents me, but I can't always tell you which number it is. I mean, this stuff is just kind of crazy. Well, they've changed it a little bit to bring it down from uh, uh, 24 districts to 18, um, which is, but it's still stupid. Uh, This is an amendment from, uh, no, this is sponsored by Representative Stephen Haugard. Uh, I believe he's from Sioux Falls. Um, He went in and uh, struck the circulator residency requirement, meaning you had to be from the, it was just ridiculous. Uh, It was all intended to make this that much more difficult. And what it, what it's going to do is if this piece goes through the way it is, is to make it so that uh, more signatures will be invalid. Um, You know, so as Corey points out here, um, the, that restriction the the this was the part that was taken out uh, would have re- effectively required a petition bo- bo- booth at the state fair to have 35 circulators on duty, one from each Senate district. And I mean, that's absurd on its face. Um, there's still a lot of silly things in there. Um, as Corey points out, it still requires signers to include their Senate district number. Nobody knows that. Uh, the bill uh, requires initiative petitioners to obtain signatures from at least 5% of qualified electors in a majority of the Senate districts, which means that you have to have data on the turnout in the last election for governor in each district, which is data no one, not even the Secretary of State, currently has, according to Corey. It has three different standards in it. Um, you know, uh, it's it's just all of it is meant, intended to make it more difficult to get issues on the ballot. And as I have said many times, all a lot of what this stuff does in these efforts to try and make it more difficult for people to get uh, questions on the statewide ballot is you're going to eliminate the people who are using volunteers, who are grassroots and will only make it accessible to the people who can pay more people to go out and get petitions signed. That's what's going to happen. You're not going to stop the billionaire from California with Marcy's Law from getting on the ballot. He'll just hire more people. He'll hire whoever it takes. You know? And this stuff is just so nonsensical as to be absurd because... And I really think with all these different uh, laws that are coming, uh, there's a, 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 I wouldn't call it an organized effort, but certainly the effect of it is going to be make it so confusing that people aren't even going to know what's eventually passed. So it's just bizarre. This bill is, is weird. It's not done yet. Um, it's, it's still rolling around in the legislature. Uh, And it's just part of the broader effort to beat back INR in the state of South Dakota. And I would be as leery as you should be of polls, as I mentioned earlier, you should be even more leery of lawmakers trying to change the way that laws are made. Because when you have lawmakers changing the way that laws are made, it's inherently going to favor the people who are in control. It's like with redistricting. The system of redistricting benefits who's ever in control at the time of the census, essentially, in the session following the census, because that's what they do with the numbers. And that's where gerrymandering comes in when you let uh, the, 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 the people who are in control, whether that's Democrats or Republicans, in other states, it's, it, it can be Uh, flip back and forth, and so it's very important who has control at that time, and you're seeing lawsuits all over the country, all over the country dealing with redistricting because whoever's in control draws the districts to favor their party. It's just, it's so inherent on its surface, so obvious on its surface, 
that it's hard to believe that the system still survives that way. We need independent drawing of districts. It, it's, it's too easy to control who has power by who controls the boundaries. And it's the same with INR. If Republicans in the state of South Dakota are mad because some things got passed that they didn't like, so they're now they're trying to change the system by which those laws were passed. That's what's happening, pure and simple. That's the bottom line on today's PL statement. You can agree or disagree with me, Patrick at KSOO. Go on our Twitter feed at P. Lally Show and, uh, you know, maybe get yourself a sticker. P. Lally Show Radio Clash State of South Dakota commemorative seal sticker just by saying I want a sticker at P. Lally Show. Coming up after the break, it's the Buffalo Maiden on Weird Friends and then Thea Miller-Ryan from the Outdoor Campus. Coming up next on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. 334 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. And uh, it is time, Friday. It's Friday, so that means it's uh, Buffalo Maiden Day on Weird Friends. And uh, Buffalo Maiden, I just had to let that uh, America play a little bit, just to soothe my nerves a little bit. Just I, 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 a couple things have gone wrong today, and I, I just on edge. So that's this is helping. Couple things, this this on edge. My gosh, you should uh, you should maybe take a road trip, come out, come west. Yeah, where you I, can relax and shovel some snow. <laughs> I was uh, I was just laughing when you said, "Oh, you guys might get a couple of inches, but the heavier snow will be west." We're supposed to get almost 15 inches of snow this weekend. Oh, man. Yeah, the, those were the, the, the happiest words I heard in that whole weather report, and I didn't catch it all, was the heaviest snow will be north and west of Sioux Falls. That's all I need to yeah. know. Yeah, and I started laughing because yesterday they said we were supposed to get one to two inches, and we got eight <laughs> inches of snow. So I don't remember. To, I mean, we were in math. I don't know if we were in math class ever together, but I wasn't very smart in math. But to me, that means four times. Yeah. So if we take four times 15, that's like five feet of snow if they're off on their calculation. Well, maybe they'll be off so, the other way. You know what I mean? I hope so. But so far, they haven't, they haven't scored that way yet. Yeah. Well, new, weathermen. new listeners should uh, uh, be, I just, I was negligent in my introduction. You, of course, are the Black Hills uh, correspondent for the Patrick Lally Show out there in beautiful downtown Custer. So that's. So if you were thinking that somebody in Sioux Falls was getting 15 inches of snow, no, it's just our friends out in the Black Hills, and you're used to it, right? We're not used to it. We never get snow out here. And if we get, like, you know, we get snow and then it's gone the next day. But it's not gone right now. In fact, we're running out of places to put it. You know, we've got a little forest around us that you can only shove so much snow (laughs) into. So um, It's hard to push snow uh, uphill. (laughs) It is. It's really hard. It's really hard. But if people, uh, just uh, an update, I do want to tell you today is my mother's birthday. Oh, really? She is 82, and she is walking around town in a brand new goose down oh, winter coat. But I thought she wanted a duck. We, uh, was last week on the show, you said that she wanted a duck down coat. No, 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 goose down. Goose she down. was disappointed okay. in the duck. Disappointed. The duck's not the same as the goose. So she got the right one. We got the goose. We're all good. What did you have to do to uh, pull that off? Man, you have to, like, pretty much go and and gather the feathers yourself (laughs) and have somebody sew the coat anymore because everything is goose down or duck down. And so to find goose is is pretty amazing. There used to be that goose mobile lady, remember, out in? Yeah. um, Are they still around? They're still going. See them at the farmer's market every year. Yeah, they're great. Yeah, I still have... um, I still have uh, my down comforter. I still use from her and my pillows, and she was so sweet. She would write, Jesus loves you, on all the stuff she makes, which yeah. is not sweet Yeah. during this Lenten, Lenten yeah. time. Did you make it to Mass yesterday or Wednesday? Wednesday. Um, I did not. You know what? It's for the first time in 30 years. It was Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday. And, <sighs> um, you had to work? I, I, I had to work. I work. We work for a living. I... I I uh, well, that's my mistake for asking that question because um, 
there's probably a priest listening and and <laughs> I, I and did you make it did you get asked uh i i didn't make it no i thought about it you got to remember though it's not a holy day of obligation it's but it's like the second biggest holiday for catholics to actually attend mass yeah it was in my experience it was valentine's day so I, I, like you i was busy yeah <laughs> I, hey Speaking of that, the best, remember the best, well, you probably don't remember this, but the best Ash Wednesday service we ever had in high school, uh, the the priest and the what, one of the teachers played Dust in the Wind. Remember that? Was it? I remember, I remember uh, uh, a Dust in the, yes, I remember. That. I think it was Kevin Brick. I think we yeah, can say that. it was awesome. Kevin Brick You're played Dust in the Wind. You're not supposed to say names on the radio. No, that's all right. Um, he's, he's a public official, kind of. Okay. Yeah. No, that was awesome. That was a good experience. I remember but that. Anyways, I remember getting. That might have been the last time you got asked. Well, eh. <laughs> could, could have been. Uh, I yeah. actually, uh, I remember getting uh, in a lot of trouble in those school masses. Oh, it wasn't my fault. Same on you. I was just guilty, on you. guilty by association. As you might the tuba. Guess. You were playing the tuba instead of ringing <laughs> I, the bell. I wasn't playing the tuba. Anyway. That's what you were doing. Anyway, what else is going on out there in the hills? You've oh, had, you, we're big past, news. We have some really serious news going on here. We have, you know, I don't know if you're aware, uh, Pringle, South Dakota, which is about 15 miles south of here, has the world's largest bicycle sculpture. I did not know um, that. It's at the Mickelson Trail there. It's right at the Mickelson Trail. It is falling over <laughs> uh, from the weight of the snow. And so this is huge because if you go to TripAdvisor uh, and look under things to do in Pringle, that's, you know, like the top ten things to do in Pringle, there's only one thing to do, and it's to see the sculpture. <laughs> so, um, and some people think it's better than Carhenge, which I think is, is you know, that's pretty impressive yeah. then. But it's falling over, and I don't know. There's no talk of. I, we might have to have a huge fundraiser to get the thing back up. What's um, it made of? Bicycles, all bicycles, just hundreds of bicycles thrown oh, on a pile. I see. And I thought we you call were saying that sculpture. <laughs> I thought you were saying that it was in the shape. You know, it was a. a oh no 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 no! These are hundreds of bicycles that are just thrown in a heap. I mean, a, a, a calculated um, sculpture uh, that is art. And it's the big draw for Pringle as you're heading towards Wind Cave um, or to Denver. You can see this beautiful thing or get on the Mickelson Trail how, with, your uh, bike, with your How long is this thing? I, I What? I can't believe you haven't seen it. Well, I, I've i been to Pringle once, I think, and I don't remember. Oh. And I think I was just driving through. And frankly, I was a, lit, I was a little bit concerned about. I mean, Pringle's a tough little town, right? I mean, this is not Pringle's your a tough little road. Yes, yeah. it is. It's a tough little road, and there's, uh, yeah. Well, the Confederate flags are gone now, but oh, um, well. that, that used to be kind of a, an, a questionable place. Um, but there's, but, a, is it on the trail? This this pile of bikes? Yeah, yeah. It's right there. It's right on the road. Right on the trail. Right when you start, it's just it's it was uh, grossly impressive. Um, but now it's uh, falling over. So I, I don't know. You guys might want to start a campaign over there. Sioux Falls is good for fundraising for yeah. art, art <laughs> projects. So How can you? Maybe you guys could help us out. <laughs> well, I mean, if it's just a big pile of bikes and it tips over, has you know, if a, if a pile of bikes falls in the it's woods. It's not a pile. It's an art. Stru- it's a sculpture. Oh, so it's been, I, I see. So is it like. Uh, Strategically placed art pieces. What shape is it? Oh, gosh. It's multiple of shapes, <laughs> you know, it's, it's shapes all over. You just can't, you can't pinpoint any one shape. I call that abstract. Um, abstract. Yes, it's an abstract. Abs- there you go. That's the word we want. Abstract. Dan's always yes. there to save us. Uh, oh, thank God. <laughs> Even with the couple of, couple of, or the snow heading west. Yeah, that's um, not his fault. So mm-mm. is there like some sort of campaign? I mean, is somebody going to do this or are they just going to let it? I mean, this is a Black Hills. Somebody's just- I think we're going to wait to see if it really does fall over. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's just about down. Um, and I'm not sure. I would imagine that, uh, you know, there's going to be some kind of fundraiser out there in Pringle, you know. Um, I think they call themselves the Pringle Poachers or something, that town. <laughs> but um, they, they'll probably do some kind of, you know, game feed. Oh, man. Uh, you better be out here for that one hunt and feed that's what it'll be yeah yeah well if you hear of anything let me know because i will i'll come and help i'll throw i'll throw a dime or so i'll throw some coin that way 
Yeah, right. maybe an old tire. I don't know. If I said a tube, <laughs> I got can bring a tube. Out. I got parts. I can contribute. I got stuff. That would be great. Yeah, that'd be great. That would be great. Uh, Buffalo Maiden uh, in the uh, out in Custer in the beautiful Black Hills. Um, our Friday guest on Weird Friends. Uh, plug the restaurant. Sage Creek Grill. We're right here on Main Street, but we're only open one more week, and then we hit our winter break. Woohoo! And then when you I know. when you reopen in the spring? Uh, March thirteenth. Isn't that a good day? Right before yeah. St. Patrick's. It's perfect. Well, you'll be here for St. Saint... Oh no, you got to be. Oh. Anyway, I hope I don't know. you're going to come there. to Sioux Falls, right? I'm going to get to see you at some point. I'll be in Sioux Falls. Maybe I'll be in the station again. That'll, that'll be, be fun. That'll be awesome. Maybe we could bring a priest in and we'll talk about uh, Ash Wednesday's past. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> we'll talk about that next week. Thanks a lot. Sounds great. Okay. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Coming up next on the Patrick Lally Show, Thea Miller-Ryan from the Outdoor Campus will be here and we'll talk about pheasants and the 100th anniversary of pheasant hunting in South Dakota. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. 348 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. I've been playing uh, some mellower music here today on the Patrick Lally Show, and this is Crazy by Patsy Cline. Great song. I could just leave this on for... But we now we better talk. We better talk. So we've got Thea Miller Ryan from the Outdoor Campus in studio, along with Chris Hull, who is what? Is your, you're with the GFMP. What is your title, sir? Communication specialist. And you called me sir, but yeah, there you go. On our way up here, you were cranking the Bodines, and I was like, oh man, I'm gonna love this guy. <laughs> that was my jam back in the day. So I play the Bodines uh, closer to the free and, every right, single day. Right. So. That's um, one of my jams back in the day. That's good stuff. Well, they're a great band. Right. Uh, Chris, uh, you actually work out of the peer office, yep, right? I sure do. Um, you know, I'm, I can't believe it, that, but it is the 100th anniversary of pheasant hunting in South Dakota. How is that possible? 100th year. Not the 100th anniversary because that's 100th different. 100th year. 100th year in uh, 1918, two-day season in DeSmit, or not DeSmit, sorry, uh, Spink County. Uh, Two-day season, it rained for both days. Hunters <laughs> shot 200 pheasants. So I think we've come a long way since then. But, yeah, 1918. Because when did – they brought the birds to South Dakota specifically to shoot them. Is yes, it, right? in, in 08 they brought them in. Uh, first place, they came from the Willamette Valley in uh, Oregon. Yeah. And uh, so they brought them in uh, to Sioux Falls in this area, actually. Um, first they took and then kind of disappeared. And then they made a couple more introductions. They they spent back then like twenty thousand dollars for seven thousand pheasants way back then, yeah. And uh, they really took off because the climate and habitat was similar than uh, to what they were in China, and uh, took off. And you know they shot two hundred the first year, and I think four years later they were they were harvesting forty fifty thousand birds on a thirty day season. So, That's amazing. Yeah, and it's and it's just exploded from there. Right, and even we, we say you know even in a down year, which we know this year was. Uh, South Dakota, we still harvest more pheasants than like the six mm-hmm. six states around us combined. Yeah, so, that is that is nuts. Right, and also in commemoration of uh, of the outdoors and pheasant hunting, we're all wearing plaid. Right, yeah, I don't know how that has right. plaid on. It's today. buffalo plaad. It's, yeah, right. we're gonna have to get uh, Uber producer Dan Peters in here for Dan a photo. Dan to take a picture yeah, for sure. This, <laughs> before we're done here, um, so it's it's a uh, uh, hundred years of pheasant hunting. Um, the did did am I remembering this wrong or did Joe Foss play some role in all this in terms of making it big? Yeah, he he really did. I mean, you got to remember Joe Foss. I mean, we think of him as a as a governor and yep. a senator. He was a rock star. I yeah. mean, back in the day, it was you know he's a war pilot and, he, and a U.S. senator and he was a, a an outdoorsman and and there are a lot of clips of him hunting pheasants when nobody was yeah. filming that kind of stuff and he really did. Kind of, I mean, it was a pretty well-known thing, but Foss kind of took it to the next level as far as, you know, just this international, you know, spotlight and national spotlight for sure. So Yeah, well, and he was responsible. So he was also uh, the first uh, commissioner of the AFL right. and all these different things he had done, um, and as well as being a war hero. I saw a photo the other day of, uh, I think John Lauk circulated this, uh, uh, of Clark Gable. Yeah. And oh, yeah. oh, and his wife at the time, also very famous uh, actress, and I can't remember her name. But uh, 
they were pheasant hunting and they were here because right. of Joe Foss. Foss. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He was a rock star. I mean, it was him and Charles Lindbergh, you know, <laughs> he's up there that big. It's, and so people would come here because he would bring them into the state right. and then it just circulated from there. And that's right. a big part of why we have this incredible reputation, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, even with that, we're talking about a hundred years of tradition, uh, with our with our pheasant hunting, next year is the hundredth anniversary or hundredth year of South of state parks because Custer State Park was created, mm-hmm. and Foss played a big big role in the expansion of Custer State Park and mm-hmm. and you know not only making it this really cool nature preserve but this really visitor friendly like amazing experience. So yeah, he's a rock star, man. That's that's pretty cool. Um, and now you can go see him at the airport. Right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it's really a cool sculpture out there. It so it's, I'm I'm glad it's there. Um, uh, the Custer State Park was the first state park. Yep. And now, and and Good Earth is the last right. state park. Right. That's kind of wild. Yeah, I think Good Earth was one of the first state parks we've had in forty years. Forty years. Mm-hmm. That's wild. Mm-hmm. Now, if you want to find out more about uh, state parks and GF and P in general, you guys got a fancy new app, right? We do. Yeah. Download our new app. You just go to your app store or uh, Play Store and. Uh, search for GFP is in Game Fish and Parks mm-hmm. and download our new app and you can do everything on that app. It is really great. You don't have to carry a paper license with you anymore. You can uh, you can just get it all right on the app. Can right. I get a license on the app? Yep. yep. Oh, yep. that's and awesome. One of the couple of really cool features, we have a digital backpack in there where you can hold your license. You can, you can bring up key dates. So if you say, oh, I want to remember the East River deadline for deer. Mm-hmm. Um, you can put that in there. Your phone will give you notifications when it's coming up. The other thing is you can download maps. So if you're out uh, in the boonies, as we used to say in Siston, and, and you don't have <laughs> cell service, you can go, oh, I know I have this map here. Click on it. It'll have it stored on your phone. I mean, it it's pretty cool. GFP Outdoors, I think, is what you it have is. to. GFP Outdoors, right. and you Slick. can find it. And any, I suppose you can, can you buy like uh, uh, your season passes for uh, getting in and out of the parks and that kind of thing? Or um, that'd be tougher because yeah, you need a sticker. It's tougher. You want it right away. Um, but I, I think there's a. I think you can use it for that, but right. I, you don't get the sticker right away. Right, so. right. You Maybe you can, I have it. You can stick yeah, around yeah, my phone. Right. I got it right here. Yeah, you can come to the outdoor campus and get one. There you go. Perfect. There you go. Uh, Theo Miller-Ryan, she's executive director of the outdoor campus. And Chris Hall, who is a communication specialist with... The GF and P and Peer. And uh, you guys, thanks for coming in today. I really appreciate it. Get the new app, GF and P, GFP Outdoors. Right. Right. That's cool. Download that. Right on. Well, we'll see you guys next week. Yeah, yeah no problem. Coming up next on the Patrick Lally Show, we're going to talk with a couple of city council candidates for the Central District. First up is Kurt Soule and then Tom Hurlbert. You want to stay close? This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. 358 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000, KSOO. Hey, the 38th Annual Artists of the Plains Art Show and Sale is going on right now at the downtown Hilton Garden Inn. It's free and open to the public. It's today till 9, tomorrow 10 to 6, Sunday 10 to 3. Artists, 25 local and regional artists from five states. You want to get down there? Coming up after the break, we're going to talk about City Council. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Four oh six on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. And as you all know, there is a City Council election coming up. April 10th is the first round, and... uh, you know, the mayor's election sort of taking all the oxygen out of the air, but there are a few councilors up for election, seats up for election, and one of those is the Central District, and Kurt Sale is a candidate for that seat on the city council, and Kurt is with us right now. Kurt, thanks for coming in on hey, a cold thanks, day. Patrick. Thanks, for having me in. Um, so, Kurt, I think the first thing you should do is probably tell people, give, give them your 30-second bio. Oh. Who are you? Sure, that's easy, Patrick. Uh, I'm Kurt Sale. I'm running for Central District. lived in the Central District since 1981. Uh, I lived down by Augustana College. I've uh, Currently, I'm a district manager for Farmers Union Insurance. Prior to that, I'd spent 20 years on the fire department in Sioux Falls here. So the, this, this call to duty, I'll say, for the Central District is something that my wife and I have said that we needed to do for a long time, and that's one of the reasons that I'm running. 
do you have any uh, uh have you uh done any other work with like city boards or anything like that or oh, certainly uh currently i'm on the uh, sports authority mm-hmm. and we're the ones that sub- uh, sponsor the summit league division one hockey is coming to sioux falls naia basketball so i'm on the uh, sports authority board that's fun yeah that is a, a great group and they've really done some uh forward thinking things and uh, denny has really helped us out with that uh, I can go back 20 plus years ago. I was on the steering committee for the Citizens for Modern City Government when we changed from a from a city, mm-hmm. uh, the three member to the the current board that we've had then. Uh, I'm neighborhood watch captain for many many years. I've coached all kinds of sports, youth sports, hockey, and football, and softball, and baseball, and. You know, I don't know anything about soccer. I probably would have coached that too. So I've been <laughs> been very involved this last forty years. Um, one of the issues that's come up a lot, and I ask every person that comes through here in terms of uh, whether it's mayoral candidates or council, is uh, we've talking a lot about transparency, and that's a broad term. In your mind, is the is the uh, city government in general open enough to the people? No, I don't think so, Patrick. And I'll address that in a couple of specific ways. I, I think there there seems to be a lack of understanding from uh, the, the general public on when things get started. Most of the things that end up in the city council today are they're nine miles down a 10-mile road mm-hmm. that has started years ago either with a, a city department or a board. There's 40 citizen boards, 40-plus citizen boards in Sioux Falls. That's where things get started. And I think by the time it gets to the city council, you have a lot of people that have already bought in, have already invested hours and hours and hours of time, and then there seems to be a little resentment when the public comes up and has a different opinion, and then the city council might go different ways. So I would say, is there enough public input? I would say no at this point, and I would look to find a way to encourage more public input at the start not to do away with it at the end of the when, at the city council, but at the start of the projects. One of the things that's ha- uh, happening right now is that the contracts, as they come up, will be made available at least a week out from when they are put before the council. Is that even enough time? Uh, I would say it's a step in the right direction, and, and I know that sometimes hundreds of pages are dumped on the council on a Friday afternoon and expect to vote on it on a Monday. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't get a hold of anybody on a Saturday or a Sunday to mm-hmm. have questions answered, so you're limited to a day and a half. So I'd say the week is a, a step in the right direction, but I also know that when we wrote the charter in there, it specifically said that the uh, city council members are supposed to work through the mayor's office to talk to department heads. Mm-hmm. I would hope that there would be a way that we could make that a smoother transition without uh, throwing a wrench into the works. Is the, You were involved from the early days. Is the charter working? Oh, I believe it is. I think one of the things that we tried to do back then, and I think is succeeding today, is to not have administrative dues on this, or duties on the city council. So they're not running the street department. They're not running the mm-hmm. police department. They're actually more of a legislative body to oversee, to set policies and approve the budget. So I believe that is working. I would not be running for city council today if I had to make it a full-time job. And I think that does preclude people from being involved and that's what we looked for back in the 90s and that's why i think it's working today do you think um er, the uh city tried to seal the agreement uh the confidential settlement with the uh some uh companies involved in the in the t denny center the denny sanford premier center did you agree with that approach to try and seal that settlement you know, I wasn't involved in that. But and, do you think you sh- they should have sealed it? I, I, I struggle with that for two reasons. First off, uh, there are so many proprietary uh, financial things that go into a private business working with the city. The city should not have to disclose the private financials of a business because they might be in a competitive situation and the opponent might use it then. But on the other hand, I realize that by keeping things confidential or secret in this case, really put a wet blanket on the whole thing. Whether or not it was a good agreement, Mm -hmm. the way that it was handled, in my opinion, was wrong. It should have been open, up front, and say, this is what we got. Here's how it came about to do it. That specific case on that settlement, I would have made public. um, And maybe I would have sold it a lot different with a lot different verbiage into that. Maybe different numbers. Uh, I'm not sure the number's wrong. But I will say this, when somebody says, I gave you a million dollars and I end up with half of that. It's uh, not a million. That, that's not a million. Um, 
the uh, we're, we're going to take a very short break here. And we're going to come right back with Kurt Sale. He is a candidate for city council in the central district in the April 10 city council election. This is the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO. 417 on the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO. And we continue our conversation with Kurt Sale. He is a candidate for city council in the Central District. Kurt, uh, we talked a little bit about transparency. Um, Does Sioux Falls have a a crime problem? We have crime. Uh, It's a growing place, so crime has been going up. But do we have a problem? Patrick, I think any time that we have the crime, the level that we do, we have to pay attention to it. If you look at the statistics that the police department will relate to you, Based on our population and based on other cities our side, it doesn't look like we're out of whack. But that doesn't mean anything to somebody that gets their car broke into or there happens to be a shooting in their neighborhood. So do we have a problem? I won't know if I could call it a problem, but I will say this. One of the things I'm going to focus on is public safety. It's not only the police, it's the fire, it's the EMS. We've got to continue to make this a safe place that people want to raise their family, retire, have a job in. So police department, I believe at this point, is doing a very good job. They have to continue to be proactive as they go forward. What do we need? Do we need more more cops? Or what is, what is it that we can do as a city council to uh, fight crime is such a horrible phrase, but to uh, be aware and be proactive? Well, I think the uh, public education by the police department is is part of it is the ability for neighborhoods to watch what's going on in their neighborhood. I have talked to the Matt Burns, the police chief, and one of the conversations we had was about body cams. And he indicated that right now there seems to be a software problem. Their current software won't quite match up to the body cams that are out there, but it's something they're investigating and looking forward to. I believe that our police department is doing a great job. Do they need more people? They will always tell you, yes, they need more people. Do they need to be treated with respect? I think that was the rub last year in their contract negotiations. They didn't feel they were treated with respect. So we have to respect our police officers as they go out there. That makes them feel better about their job, and they'll do a good job for us. Um, on uh, uh, transportation, uh, you know, whenever you see a uh, assessment of the needs of the actual citizens of the city, transportation is often a big issue, uh, particularly for people who aren't uh, well off. Um, what can we do about our public transportation system and our transportation in general in this community? Well, Patrick, I believe that right now there's it, it, it's going to take money to fix the mass transit. If I'm talking about the bus system mm-hmm. or what, uh, whatever, we need to continue to enhance that so that traffic flow is less. If I'm working downtown Sioux Falls and I live way on the west side, mm-hmm. if I have public transportation, then I won't clog the streets with my car or have to find a place to to uh, park my car and, and when it comes to bikes we need to encourage people that to, would be able to do that i was just told yesterday by a, a lady friend of mine who has a husband that needs a lot of care that paratransit won't go south of 69th street i'm not i have to investigate to whether that is true or not mm-hmm. but that service has been limited by the fact that there's not enough dollars there mm-hmm. so as we go forward as a city council we have to figure out how we can allocate dollars to help everybody across the board uh, whether it be the bus system or whether it be paratransit or whether it be making bike lanes. It's going to cost money, though. And one of the problems with any conversation, it's not a problem, one of the things that happens when any conversation about mass transit is because the, the pool of money for, uh, for paratransit and uh, the fixed route system is all one. So it's like they end up fight. those two entities end up saying, well, if you're going to take some money here, you're going to take it away from here. When in fact, what it needs is more money, and we get no help from the state of South Dakota. But everything needs more money. So is it just a matter of saying, we just have to spend some money on this? Well, I think, it, it, and certainly going forward, the environment that we're tax environment we're in, with, with any kind of help we get from Washington, is a godsend because I don't think it's going to be there in the future the way the, the tax structure and the debt is today. Yes, Patrick, we have to make the hard decisions on where the money's going to come. And if I, the broad group of people that work for the city of Sioux Falls, 1,300-some people, they mm-hmm. all want to carve out their little niche. They all want to fight for what they believe and what they're in charge of. And I, I appreciate that. That's the hard decisions that the city council is going to have to make. What do we do with the limited amount of resources that we have? Speaking of the budget, 
that's going to be a serious problem. Um, what would you cut back on? Because our revenue is flat, basically. Uh, the state of South Dakota had some encouraging numbers this week on uh, tax revenue being a little higher than it was. And we know that trickles down to the city. Um, it, it, but we are going to have to be very frugal. What are some areas where you think you know the budget can be trimmed back a bit? Well, I, I'm not quite sure that that's the way I would approach it, Patrick. I think that uh, certainly the city has been uh, frugal. You know, only, only eight pennies out of every dollar goes to debt service. And four cents of that, half of that, is funded by fees, whether it be water or sewer. Mm -hmm. So half of that. So only four cents of what every dollar actually goes to the debt. Now, they're trying to renegotiate some debt right mm -hmm. now. So do we have a limited amount of money? Yeah. Are we in the position where I've lived through when I was a city employee and they threatened layoffs? We're nowhere near where that's at today. So do we have to cut some things to increase some other things? I think we have to put everything on the table as the new city council comes in, determine our priorities, and then pick it from there. This is a big question with not very much time left, but uh, it feels like, and the, in, the, the statistics would demonstrate that there is this growing income divide, that the largest, that the groups of, of income that are growing the fastest are people above 100,000 household income and 15 to 25,000. Th those groups are growing while the middle is coming down. We have a growing poverty problem. Is there anything the city council can do in this regard? Yeah, the middle class is dying. I mean, it just is the way the whole country is going. And I'm, I'm very encouraged that we still do have the higher income is still coming to Sioux Falls because they need everything. I think one of the things that we have to do as a city council is going forward is we have to encourage more businesses to come to town, which then needs more workers. We have to encourage a place that these people can live and they can work, whether you're a dishwasher or a doctor, whether you're a janitor or a judge. We have to provide for all of those people. Um, there's a the famous phrase, you know, rising tide lifts all boats. And I think that's what we have to shoot for. I don't think we have to take it from one to the other or do that. City council only has certain weapons that they can use mm -hmm. in that. And so we're pretty limited, but I want to get in there and make that pitch to bring all, us all up. Do you feel like, uh, this is also an increasingly diverse place. And it, my sense is, and looking at, uh, enrollment numbers at the elementary schools, and this isn't a reflection of the school district that we do have a kind of a balkanization going or a segregation where you've got the higher, the much higher minority and much poorer schools are in the middle and the, the white flight is leading to uh, low levels of diversity and higher incomes in the first ring in the public schools, not, not to mention what happens in the suburbs. Is this an issue that you think is a serious problem for the city of Sioux Falls and what would you do about it? I do think it's a serious problem. The, the diversification of our community is good, but the stratification and the regionalization of certain groups doesn't lend good for the blend going forward. I have a, a, a young man that I know that, that works in one of the schools, and he has talked about how the schools have been that way. And I think that, uh, as I've told people, we need a lot of ingredients to make good soup in Sioux Falls. So diversification is good, in my opinion. How we can fight that, I think we do it with zoning, with the new uh, housing that goes up is one way to do that. I think we've talked about transportation. Mm -hmm. If we put uh, multi-unit places way on the south side, way on the north side, whatever, we have to be able to make sure those people can get to their place of employment without having to have a $30,000 mm -hmm. vehicle to get there. Those are some of the things that I'm going to look to try in the broad brush to see what we can do. Kurt Sale, he is a candidate for the city council in the April 10 election from the central district. Uh, there are four candidates, five, Correct. Four, four candidates for that seat. And uh, we'll have everybody through here at some point and you can uh, chat with them. But Kurt, thank you very much for coming in today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Patrick. It's been a blessing. Coming up next, we are going to talk to another candidate in that race, Tom Herbert. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. 434 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 K-S-O-O. And uh, we've been using a little clash today to bring in our next guest. He is Tom Hurlbert. He is a candidate for the city council in the April 10 election in the Central District. 
uh, one of four candidates in that race. So there might be a runoff in that one. Tom, thanks for coming by. Hey, thanks, Patrick. It's good to be here. And you'll notice right away, I was debating on whether to say this or not, but I just have to, I have to just, you know, address the elephant in the room. He, of course, Tom has a fantastic radio voice because he is uh, oil can from the uh, Rock Garden Tour on public radio and elsewhere. Uh, you're being generous, but uh, yeah, thank you. And uh, yeah, Rock Garden Tour. I sometimes silo some of my social activities, but it's uh, it's it's fun. Uh, it's a fun hobby. And you were an early supporter of that show, as I recollect. I I have been uh, aware of the program for some time, uh, but uh, you guys are still active, and and so look for those. Uh, look for uh, appearances by the Rock Garden Tour on a radio or television or public gathering near you. A barn, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Always a barn. And you guys just, re- I, we're going to take up all your time talking about this, but you just released a uh, a film not so long ago that was really cool. Yeah, we did our uh, fourth uh, made-for-TV special. It was a one-hour special. Pretty cool. We did the Bad River Road, and it was a, it's a, I don't know if you've ever been on the Bad River Road. It goes kind of west southwest out of fort pier and follows the bad river of course yeah. and it is a it is questionable whether it's actually a road in certain parts so yeah. we had kind of an adventure <laughs> and went through some uh, some ghost towns and and kind of made a documentary out of it and we had a lot of help making some really great cinematography out of it yeah it's pretty cool but that's not why you're here um first of all i want you to briefly give people your bio give you give us your 30 second bio sure um well, I'm an architect here in Sioux Falls. I'm married. I have one uh, very young son, uh, Landy, who's about nine months old. Um, I have the business. I'm co-owner of Co-op Architecture, which is a 13-person business, and we do all kinds of commercial architecture around the state of South Dakota. And um, I'm uh, running for city council in the Central District. It's my first go-around at it, but um, yeah, I'm excited to be here. I live, obviously, in the heart of mm-hmm. Sioux Falls. And you uh, you grew up in Aberdeen? Aberdeen, yeah. that's right. And my dad was a longtime city commissioner. My grandpa was a longtime mayor. And so uh, this was kind of table talk growing up, city, <laughs> local politics, um, just kind of what, why you do it. I, and I've, I've mentioned this to other people, but why would you even want to run? I asked my dad that one time when I was 18, and he said, you know, he just kind of said casually like he used to do, you know, you just got to participate. And that seems like kind of a, a, a flip answer. But when I asked him a little bit more about it another time, he said, you know, it's, it's, it's really kind of this uh, cool process we have in this country that it's a citizen democracy and you do have to participate. And so it's something that I've always kind of had in the back of my head that I wanted to participate. So um, some of the big issues we're going to hit here, um, transparency, transportation and crime, it's, if we can get to all of it. But transparency, we want to start with, and uh, there's been a lot of conversation about whether or not city government is transparent enough in terms of public information and communicating with the people. Do you think the city needs to be more open, and how do you do that? Well, yeah, I do. I think there's opportunities for that. I think there's a, a feeling uh, in the community that there isn't enough uh, honesty and open kind of transparency. I hear that when I'm talking to people. How you do that, you know, I think the city, the the city, the folks, the directors, the guys at the city do a good job. I've been spending a lot of time just uh, absorbing all the information online. That's a pretty endless amount of information. I appreciate that. Um, I think at the council and mayoral level, sometimes it's difficult to understand why there's not more collaboration going on. Sometimes it feels like uh, people are, you know, there's a little bit of... uh, a little bit of politics going on. And I think at a local level, we just need to be open and honest and figure out how to solve problems. So I think there is some room to do that. Um, how to do that is part of your question. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think we need to have, it, it'll be interesting because we're going to have a different, we're going to have potentially, you know, four counselors and a new mayor. Mm-hmm. And I think the opportunity for a different collaboration is is very likely. I think that's my how I operate when I uh, work in my business setting is uh, a lot of collaboration and I think that we need to have communication a lot earlier between the mayor and the counselors. I think that the communication uh, has to be more transparent there. And I think that a lot of the committee meetings that happen, we need to be more aggressive with how we market the committee meetings that happen because a lot of those decisions happen months in advance. And that's really where the sausage is made as earlier in the process. So the, the city just needs to continue being diligent in trying to inform uh, the citizens. And I think that they do that, but it has to be continual. It's an effort that you can't stop. That's part of the process. There's a couple of key points um, of access here in terms of information. One is the RFP process, which is 
pretty closed right now for some good reasons. Do you foresee any changes to that process to open up who's getting city business? Yeah. Well, I'm familiar with the RFP process. As an architect, I've chased RFPs, done a lot of them for all kinds of uh, public entities. Uh, I feel like, yeah, there's questions you can ask. I think that we can know more about uh, the partners in a public-private development. We need to know that. We need to know more about uh, who these people are, their background, obviously, any, you know, criminal information we need to know. But we need to know that that, that full disclosure. And you're referencing the, the issue regarding the hotel and parking ramp that's underway right now. Right. And I think in the RFP process, there's more room uh, for asking questions. And, um, you know, I think with my experience and background, I think I can, I think I feel like I could know the questions asked. I also think that it doesn't hurt to have the council reaffirm their uh, no conflict sort of uh, with throughout the process, because I think that sometimes people wonder when there's decision made. I, you know, I, people sometimes talk to me and they think, well, it, things smell funny. Why not reaffirm that maybe during each public-private partnership that, hey, let's go around the room, let's let's just make a motion here, there's no conflict, and just don't make it the, the public's responsibility. Let's just go around the room and just re- reiterate that, you know, we do not have a conflict and we're going on the record saying so. And that's not just the council, that's the mayor or directors or whomever, right? That's right. Um, one of the things that is very difficult to find out is what people's interests actually are and you short of going through somebody's books which you can't do it's it is incumbent upon the politician the representative to declare those things that's right do you think that that's happening now i think it can happen a lot more i think i know that there's an effort to do so you know when we when we've uh, signed up for this process and and started filling out our paperwork you know they've asked us to give our public disclosure and i've looked at i've kind of gone back and looked at all of them and i think there's a lot of room to be a little more clear with it's pretty vague it's pretty vague and there are the, the, you know investments well what is that that doesn't mean anything you know and that's i've seen that answer in some of you know so there's room for more for certainly more disclosure yeah, yeah. Um, We're going to come right back after a short break and talk more with Tom Hurlbert. He is a candidate for city council in the Central District in the April 10 election, and it's right around the corner. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Four forty-six on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Gotta let this roll. That's what we needed to hear from that. Uh, you can't you can't start playing London Calling and not you know get into the vocals. Uh, we continue our conversation with Tom Herbert, candidate for city council in the Central District in the April 10 election, and we've been talking about transparency. Let's talk a little bit about the the city, its makeup, and uh, one of the issues I have been paying attention to, and that is the growing income divide and the segregation, which kind of go hand in hand. So we've got schools, and it's not a school issue, it just is a way to chart it, uh, elementary schools in the middle of town with high diversity rates, high poverty rates, and then you've got schools that are not in the core, are out beyond the, the first belt of the interstate there, who have much more affluent, lower levels of diversity. This is clear, classic white flight. Um, what does that mean for our city long term, and, and what are you going to do about it? Well, uh, good question. So schools, of course, um, aren't necessarily funded through the city, but th- it is a city issue. I'd, I'd like to see there be, uh, you know, Sioux Falls is going to continue to grow. We're going to continue to have growth uh, on, on the outside, but also in the inside, in the core. And I think that um, I don't want to see our city turn its back on these core neighborhoods. Um, I heard, uh, and this might be, I don't think, I don't know for sure, I haven't verified this, but a teacher over at Whittier, for instance, told me there's 42 languages over there, which mm-hmm. is pretty wild. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of neighborhoods. Whittier's not even in the Central District, but uh, the same issues apply, of, you know, some of these challenges that are going on there. Um, I think that we need to have great, we need to have strong neighborhoods with strong code enforcement. We need to take care of these neighborhoods and these people. Now, in terms of the poverty issue, th- there's like, there's another issue you're talking about, too, right. which is the poverty issue. Um, but specifically about neighborhoods, strengthening these core areas, making sure they're safe for families, families of all kinds, making sure they're welcoming, making sure we don't turn our back on any blocks or streets. That means going after, uh, these, these 
any lousy or absentee landlords and making sure we're, we're protecting blocks and protecting, not making safe havens for drugs and crime and uh, providing the resources we need, providing the police that can be on foot in some of these neighborhoods and, and do some of the patrolling and also support these neighborhood associations and build them up and do more and provide, be a better resource for them to be successful in these neighborhoods. And that has been a uh, very interesting development uh, in the last, what, 10 years or so is the growth of neighborhood associations. Yeah. And that's a good sign because that means people have pride in their neighborhoods. Yeah. How do you encourage more of that? I know the city is encouraging more they of that. They are, but, yeah. But, you know, how do you, is that is it a money issue with that? I mean, this doesn't seem like a real big money problem. It's more of a message problem. Well, it's a it's it's a listening problem, I think. And, and I'm not, I, I don't know, to what extent, but my goal would be to listen to these organizations and be a liaison because they have a lot of good ideas and I've had an opportunity to meet with some of these folks that are in these organizations and attend some. They are they are doing amazing things for their neighborhood. I mean, they are solving issues on a local level in a really cool way um, through, through their own kind of safety watches and programs and getting to know each other and creating communities. Um, and the different events that they have and raise money and they're solve and they're developing relationships and the police department's doing a great job. But what we need is to make sure that there's people willing to listen, willing to participate, willing to come and say, what do you need? And, and be, and then help figure out how to get that to make these neighborhoods stronger. It's interesting because some of these neighborhoods, um, they, they love the, the, it's not about, you know, um, cleaning up these neighborhoods where you want to have where you're trying to swipe away all these houses and build these beautiful infill houses. Mm -hmm. You know, that might be the first take somebody would think, but these, the renting community is really important in some of these neighborhoods and we need to support all the different varieties of, of citizens in these, whether, whether they're renters, whether they're owners, whether they're in single family or multifamily. Are we doing, is the city, and this isn't just city government, it's the entire you know, structure of a, of a community. Are we doing a good job of welcoming uh, different uh, ethnic groups and racial groups, and and not allowing for th that degree of of separation and segregation? Meaning, you know, I don't see a lot of clustering in terms of race and ethnicity in the city, but there's some. Yeah. And are we? basically saying, okay, this is the area of town where, where minorities live. Mm -hmm. And by de facto, not nobody makes that decision and draws a boundary, right? but it just happens. And, and is that a danger to our community? I, well, I think you've hit it on the head. I think it, it is happening. I don't think it's been an, an intentional move uh, by any stretch, but I think we need to go to great lengths to encourage diversity and the strength of diversity. And I think that having people, uh, because what we need to be able to, we have workforce challenges. We need to be able to help all everybody here learn how to do whatever sort of skill set they can do. And this, this might tie into some of those other educational opportunities. We need to make sure that we're reaching out and being as welcoming as possible. Um, do you think, I mean, this just leads into it and, uh, and there, there's always an inference here and I don't mean to infer this, but does the city have a crime problem in that um, we know crime has been going up, that, that, that meth crime, meth-related crime has been going up, but do we really have a, a problem that needs to be addressed in a big, comprehensive way? Well, we do, we do to, the, to, the, uh, to the point that we, we have to stay in control of our crime situation. Now, is our crime... Uh, maybe distinctly different in proportion to another community of our size. I think we have a good handle on it. I think we are doing okay. I don't think that uh, it's a problem, but it's, it's one of those things that in these core neighborhoods in particular, you have to stay on top of it. You can never rest. It's, it's cause once you rest, then you can have a major problem. So that's, I think that's more of the idea is, is it's just, you've got to be relentless with crime. Um, one of the great needs in the city is, transportation and it's expensive for everybody um do we just need to spend more money on public and mass transit is that the solution 
I mean, I am a proponent of mass transit. I think we need to keep it. I mean, Sioux Falls is going to have about, I think I read in the, the one of the future growth plans, about mm -hmm. 435,000 people by about uh, 2035. Mm -hmm. We're looking, and that's in the metro area. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be, it's going to continue to grow and it's going to continue to be a need. We have to include mass transit. Um, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of uh, appetite for the big discussion about mass transit. Yeah, I, I agree. And it needs to be a part of the discussion because correcting this well, this is about planning i mean this is this is mm -hmm. about having a strong plan and knowing where we're going to be in 15 years because in 15 years the t the cost of going back and trying to correct some of the issues that we could be implementing now uh could be extremely expensive so we need to have a vision and a plan for how we're going to incorporate mass transit we got to figure out how we're going to connect the dots throughout the community so that people can effectively use it to get to their jobs and get to whatever part of the city they need to get to. And that's a big, big issue. It is, it is. And it's not an easy one that I'm going to solve right here with you probably no. uh, at the moment. But I do think that we can change, you know, I these are there different, and I know that other conversations have had, but are there different size of transportation units? Can we be more creative with how mm -hmm. we, uh, what sort of vehicles we use and how we, how we transfer people around the community? Yeah. Tom Hurlbert, he is a candidate for the city council in the central district in the April 10 election. If you live in the central district, he will be on your ballot with three other candidates. Tom, thank you very much for coming in today. I really appreciate it. We'll probably have you back at some point. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Can you take me out with the clash too? I, well, I can, if you sit there for a second, I can. <laughs> this is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Four fifty-eight on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO, and it's Radio Clash, which means it's the end of the day, and it's the end of the week, people! Oh, rejoice! Rejoice! Coming up next week, on Monday, we've got Dr. Gene Hoyme of Sanford Health, bloggers Corey Heidelberger of Dakota Free Press, and the common man for Weird Friends. Oh, everybody, come on back on Monday, 3 to 5. We'll have another great time. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Happy hour!